Welcome to the Event Tech Podcast, where we explore the ever-evolving world of event technology every week. This show is brought to you by Endless Events, the event AV company that doesn't suck. Now, let's talk tech. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of the Event Tech Podcast. That gentleman over there, he is the legal Will Curran of Endless Events. Well, we're going with some L adjectives right now, and that one over there is the lucky Brand Kruger. <laughs> today, we are being joined by the cultural Andrew Latimer from Anglable. 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 Ooh, I like culturable. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> culturable. It's merging the two of them. It's great. Yeah. So, um, so today, we wanted to talk a little bit about, this is something that's been uh, uh, rolling around in my head for a little while, is as, as you know, anyone who's been listening to this show, um, you know, we definitely take a, a broader view of event tech and event technology, expanding that into audiovisual. We had a really good couple episodes. Um, they're actually some of our more popular episodes on saving money on AV and going through, uh, you know, going through the uh, bids, and Andrew joined us on that one. And so we wanted to have Andrew back to talk a little bit about managing AV crews. This is something that we've kind of touched on in little bits and chunks uh, over the course of the year. And so we thought, let's just dedicate an episode to this to really deep dive into some of the ins and outs when it comes to managing AV crews. Yeah, and I'm super, super excited for this because literally I think on a daily daily basis, we are comparing AV quotes and audio AV quotes. We always ask, well, what's the right amount of text? And what is the, um, you know, types of text I should have? And why did they charge this? And it seems like labor is the most contentious thing when it comes to AV gear. Because I mean, to be honest, it probably is too. Like a gear is gear and you can compare, you know, one speaker's price to another speaker's price. But when it comes to labor, it's so much more uh, fluffy, right? <laughs> Cue the, it's fluffy uh, gif right now. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited to have Andrew on the show because Andrew, as I've said, I think multiple times on this podcast, very, very smart um, and really, really knows how to look at things analytically. And I'm excited for his experience both in managing AV crews, but also uh, being an uh, amazing uh, production designer at Endless uh, to talk a little bit about how he chooses everything. So Andrew, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Glad to be here. So, Brant. <laughs> well, Will, you, you bring up a great point, and 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 it's 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 something that I deal with as well in, in the technical producer role is lining all this stuff up, and it's it's the kind of thing that you know crews or uh, you know AV companies, whether it's in house or third party, you know they're always able to discount the gear. You know, as much as, you know, if it's, you know, as much as they're able, because to a certain extent it's paid for, um, you know, you don't want to discount it too much. Otherwise, you start digging into your own profits, obviously. But, you know, they're, they're willing to play when it comes to gear. But when it comes to labor, that's a tough one. You know, that's 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 one, um, you know, that they can't really discount too terribly much, uh, depending on who's getting paid, how much and when, because you have to have the people there. And, you know, this is one that actually also came up um uh, in our discussions uh, back earlier in the year regarding uh, quote unquote stuff uh, that uh, AV people say. Um, and that was one of the ones that came from a, a technical director that I know um, said, you know, don't try and force uh, one AV company to do the same type of labor as a different AV company. Um, you know, that uh, it's going to be, you know, each, each, each company has different processes. They may have different ways of breaking down the labor, that kind of thing. So, um, so Andrew, one of the things that we wanted to kind of um, uh, start off with is probably the most 
common question that I know Will and I get asked all the time, uh, which is talking about the number of AV techs per breakout. Um, it actually comes up much more often than what we'll get to in a moment, which is the number of AV techs for a general session, um, because it seems to be one of those things that there's not a consistent, you know, is it one person per breakout? You know, is it one person per five breakouts? So if you could tell us a little bit about how you kind of approach that question of how many techs do you throw at breakout sessions? Sure, that's uh, that is the million dollar question. Um, you know, I think it it's a cop out to say that it it's case by case, but in reality, it it does become that. So, uh, you know, my my dream goal for every single show is I would love to have at least one person in every single breakout. Um, reality often dictates otherwise because that that does add up. But uh, I think. My, my mantra that I try to instill in uh, anyone, whether it's a tech or a producer or a client, is that a breakout is not necessarily anything less than a general session. At the end of the day, you still have video, you still have audio. More and more, you're having wireless microphones, catch boxes, audience interaction. Uh, we're getting more requests for live streaming of breakouts, recording breakouts. At that point, you're talking about everything that you have in your general session room and potentially leaving that unattended just, you know, that seems fairly scary. So uh, even even putting that on one person, when you phrase it like that, that's scary. Um, so, you know, I think it comes down to, as a client, how important is the breakout experience to you as a brand and to your attendees from a retention standpoint? Uh, is this going to be where you're putting top end uh, speakers from your company? Is your CEO going to be talking in these breakouts and having small panels? Or is it really just kind of informal meetings where someone's going to give an update, clicking through a bunch of slides? They're not a professional presenter. Uh, you know, you're just going to kind of process 45 minutes of information that your regional manager is telling you about. It's still important, but maybe that can come at a lower cost. So how I see that playing out is, uh, you know, you, you may have on the, the higher end, you might have an audio technician, a video technician, and uh, potentially even a camera operator or a live streaming technician in those rooms. Uh, that, that gets up to a four person crew. That better be a fairly sizable breakout room because your, your tech riser might be bigger than the entire breakout. <laughs> um, but what, what that does enable is to, you know, build in a bunch of scenic options, really spice it up. On the flip side, I think you can also start looking at, all right, we just have a projector and screen. There's one person on a microphone uh, and they're clicking through their own slides. Now we can start talking about, we'll have a floating tech going between say three to four different rooms. I think when you get below that, mm, it uh, it becomes scary. You know, <laughs> you're, you're trying to turn over a whole bunch of presenters real fast. And man, that uh, I, I would say, it takes about five minutes per presentation to get their laptop set up, uh, get them mic'd up, get them all settled in. And, you know, you figure you got a 15 minute changeover that gives you room to get to three different presenters, maybe four. Uh, so I think that's the range we're typically looking in is either four rooms per person all the way up to four, pre four people per room. Wait, real quick. So I think then the next kind of follow up question I would usually get is, OK, well, we have a room moderator. Do we need that many texts? 
that's really a, a deep <laughs> question. <laughs> you know, going deep over here. Yeah. No, I think um, from, from my perspective, the room moderator is great to be able to assist. It definitely is going to make me feel more comfortable having uh, one floating tech per four rooms. Uh, where I would say that it becomes a concern is if, uh, you know, if you do still have recordings, if you have a lot of wireless mics, um, you know, a lot of times it's people that really do want to help, but might not know how to lava up a presenter. So if you can get a hour ahead of time to get all of the room moderators together, show them how to change the setting on a laptop to output via the uh, auxiliary cable instead of HDMI, how to properly put a uh, lapel mic on someone that can really be beneficial. Um, I would never say that a room moderator should replace a tech <laughs> though. If it's a situation where it's, Hey, we have records, Hey, we have a live stream. Hey, there's uh, you know, switching that needs to go on between graphics. Uh, you know, you, the, the best laid plans there are just not going to end well for you. You know, and, and this is why we wanted to have you on. You said about nine good things in that last chunk. Uh, the the so I want to hit you know just uh, recap a couple of those uh, as far as the num you know what helps you determine it. So one, and this is one that I hit on all the time, which is is who is doing the speaking. You know, if it's if it's a, a sponsor that's paid a lot of money, uh, you know, to be there and and part of their sponsorship package uh, is that they're going to be speaking in a breakout session. Is it your CEO? Is it your CFO? Is it you know who is going to be speaking? How bad does it look if something goes wrong uh, factors in? Right. And that's what's going to help determine whether or not you need a dedicated person or somebody that can float. Um, you know, so that's that's a huge one. Um, the other thing is, uh, you know, like you say, is, is how complex, uh, you know, is it is it that we're doing? You know, are we actually switching between video and presentation? Are we doing a live uh, you know, a live internet demo, you know, are we bouncing in and out of things? Um, or is it just a, you know, plug in the laptop and go kind of thing? Uh, how many people are in the room, uh, obviously, is another huge factor. Uh, you know, is it a panel of six different people, all, you know, all each on their own mic uh, versus just a single person? And then something that you you, you started to kind of touch on, uh, and, it, and it got my mind going uh, right there at the end, is, um, and I don't even know if... Uh, well, whatever. <laughs> what, what you started to touch on that, that got my mind going was actually thinking a little bit about the schedule, um, uh, you know. And so you were talking about the, you know, the, you know, being able to hit a certain number of rooms in a certain amount of time. Um, if you look, uh, you know, I was working a show recently where um, the the presenters over the course of the day were pretty much the same. Um, you know, that they were doing multiple sessions, multiple versions of their session. And so you might be able to do the kind of thing where you've got, um, you know, more crew in the morning when people are first coming in and getting settled um, and then less crew in the afternoon uh, or even later in the day uh, as, you know, oh, that, you know, this person has already presented um, and they're going to be presenting the same thing over and over in the same room. So, you know, paying attention to your schedule in that way as well uh, may be able to, you know, rather than having a dedicated person uh, in every room, maybe you do uh, you know, more people in the morning and then slowly taper it off over the course of the day. Yeah, that's a really great point there. And I, th I think, uh, what can even play further into that is the opportunity to, if you have a general session crew that, you know, maybe it's not a huge session. Uh, maybe your general session is also a breakout, uh, that can be additional cost savings, but you can also 
to an extent, uh, as we'll get into later, I'm sure, uh, you can utilize some of that expertise uh, in in downtime. If you're not rehearsing in the afternoon and you know you just had a one-hour session in the morning, uh, you can potentially look at repurposing, and now you have a A1 audio engineer who's going to be assisting you with breakouts. Do they like that? Not all that the knife time. Can cut both ways. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it's it's always an option to a point. Um, you know, obviously, you never want to jeopardize your general session. There's a lot of times where CEOs are going to like the opportunity to say, "Hey, I want to do a 2 p.m. rehearsal that nobody expected." Uh, you know, where's our crew in the general session now? Uh, so it does have reputational risk, but there is uh, there is an opportunity to consider that. You know, as you might scale down people or if you're building your session, but you have a pre-conference meeting, you know, maybe somebody can pop over that's either one of your techs or you can pull off two of the guys that are helping to set up your general session, have them go, you know, throw the pre-con meeting up ahead of time. Uh, you, you might not need somebody in the room. You might not even need to add on extra billing for that. And that's a perfect example of like, maybe you just ha- you know, reuse some of that crew, even again, just right at the beginning of the breakouts to make sure everybody's up and running and happy. And then, you know, and then after we get through, you know, round one, uh, you know, then that crew can be, you know, can, can break. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I want to kind of un- unpack something that you started kind of hinting at too, Andrew, is this idea of having levels of different types of technicians and engineers for the job to be done for managing breakout rooms. And I mean, since we're talking a lot about breakouts right now, maybe we focus on that. But um, I know we've obviously done a lot of content already on like what an engineer is versus a technician and things like that. But I know there's also specific game plans that you can do to manage numbers of breakout rooms. So what is kind of the ideal scenario? So for example, what I see a lot on AV quotes is a lot of like, hey, we're just going to have an AV technician and one of them for, let's say, four rooms, five rooms. You know, is that ideal? Um, what sort of challenges that perceive? And then as they scale up a number of rooms, what sort of positions do you like to see? I know you have some like really creative ways to be able to handle, to manage those rooms for if there's any highly technical things that end up happening. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'll say uh, anything I say is not necessarily going to be agreed on universally. There's so much uh, as far as different approaches to how people classify their individual positions. But I will say as a broad rule of thumb, you have kind of your top level uh, producers, technical directors, stage management. Uh, you can also have a breakout TD, breakout technical director or breakout manager. You might see it listed as really any of those positions to oversee all of your breakouts, just as a uh, technical director might oversee your general session. Uh, below that, we have you know your your top level designers that are overseeing the entire creative element of the show you have your engineers your programmers your operators falling below that uh, and then you have your technicians which are going to still be a specialized department you, maybe it's a video technician maybe it's a projectionist uh, maybe it's an led wall technician an audio technician and so forth and uh, you know it's still a couple rung, uh, you know, I guess I don't want to say a rung below that. It's still a specialized position would be uh, in audio visual tech. And that's, that's what you were referencing. Will there is, uh, you know, a lot of times you'll see that as your floating technician. Now that's not necessarily somebody that's going to be 
a 20 year industry veteran that spent a lot of time behind an audio console that knows how to run a spider E2 uh, or a spider or an E2 switcher. It's somebody that can, you know, plug in some microphones. They'll make it sound all right. They can get the projector running, focus it on the screen. Uh, but it, it, it's not to the expertise level of your top level technicians. So a lot of times you'll see that to float around your breakouts. And it's, it's a great solution for when you do have that smaller uh, breakout scenario or setting up the displays in your lobby, um, you know, handling the audio in the meal room. We see a lot of utility in that. As the breakouts scale, though, you definitely want to start thinking about that breakout manager position. I would say even as small as four rooms, you, you want somebody that's going to be responsible for the delivery of that uh, entire service package. Um, you know, we, we also see a great utility in having an A2 audio technician, potentially even an A1. When you start looking at, uh, for example, we did a show in Los Angeles a, a while ago where it was uh, maybe 11 or 12 breakout rooms, each with uh, between four to six wireless mics in it. Now you're talking uh, well over 60 channels of wireless in one of the most populated and most uh, wirelessly dense cities in America. Um, that's something that you really even need is somebody that just specializes in RF radio frequency. Um, so there's a whole lot of consideration when you start to get to that level of, all right, sure, it sounds simple. It's 11 rooms that are all duplicated. What is that going to do to our entire venue, though, when that's a very confined space? So that's where you can start to kind of lean on maybe some expertise from your general session. But I will also say there's a lot of guys out there that they're going to be an excellent lighting designer. Uh, you know, you don't necessarily want to pull them out of your general session and have them start hanging a pair of uh, Leco lights on a pipe in a breakout room. You know, maybe they can answer a question if your breakout tech has that. Uh, but that's, it's <laughs> not necessarily a demotion, but it can feel that way when you say, hey, you're one of the best in the country at designing lights. Can you go hang a hang a Leco in the breakout right. for me? It's a weird yeah. <laughs> reputation with your crew. Well, and I've been, I, honestly, I'll be, I've been in that position where I've been brought in as, uh, you know, a, a, a specific position uh, and, a, you know, and a key, key position. And then, oh, by the way, can you monitor these <laughs> breakouts? It's kind of like, uh, right. Well, it's the worst one. We ask them on site too, you know, like they're saying like, oh, hey, can you do this on site right. last minute versus like, hey, let's have this conversation before the show. Um, so that's something to be aware of too. And that and that's honestly where I left it is is hey you know that's cool you know I was happy to dive in and help and you know but if that's something that's likely to happen next year let's just plan on that and contract it that way mm -hmm. uh, just so that you know it's in it's in my head going into it that yes I'm going to be you know calling this show but then you know on the the quote unquote down day um, you know I'll be down helping with the breakouts well, and I think you guys I'd uh, be curious your thought uh, for me as a when I'm in a tech role I have a very different mindset to a management yeah. role which is still even different than if I'm in a breakout where I have to be, you know, customer service focused to someone that's not necessarily a professional presenter. Those are three very <laughs> different mindsets and that can be exhausting. And, and you know, I, I literally just had that conversation on my last show with the uh, graphics operator. The graphics operator is also um, a, a show caller and producer. And uh, he and I had a nice conversation about how hard it is to stay in your lane. 
you know, when, you know, when, you know, when you're used to kind of being the person in charge and the person calling the shots and now you're, you know, and this is something I've had to deal with as, you know, both a graphics operator or, uh, you know, helping out with audience engagement technology is like, okay, I'm just the polling guy. I need to just keep my mouth shut because I'm the polling guy on this one and not, you know, be, uh, you know, offering my two cents on every little problem that comes along. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So, We've started to move our way into this, um, you know, but let's, you know, let's <laughs> yeah. break, you know, move things out a little bit more into general session land uh, and start talking about, you know, uh, you know, like how I kind of touched on the fact that, you know, every company is a little bit different as far as the, you know, and, and Andrew, you mentioned that as well. Um, you know, everybody's different about how they define each of these roles. Um, so let's kind of start getting into, you know, event managers versus technical directors versus graphics, you know, operators and, you know, engineers and all that kind of stuff when it comes to the general session. Well, before we even get into that, I, I kind of want to answer that same <laughs> question of like number of people yeah. for breakout rooms, but like how many times I see other, again, like AV audit has like really done a great job at opening my eyes to how different everybody does it. But the one of the most common things I see is the one dude to do it all. <laughs> Like the one technician, he's going to be the lighting guy, the video guy, the sound guy. And it worries me sometimes. And I always say, like, I think that's a recipe for disaster. So, Andrew, maybe can you start talking about it for a one specific room where you know that there's a lot going on. You know, you're talking about this is it maybe the only room or it is the, the main room, um, you know, whatever it may be. How do you start to scale up and when do you start adding one more person? And maybe we can start to build up towards that with technical directors and graphics ops and everything like that. Uh, sure. I think for, for me, it, uh, in, in my role, I, I always am fighting to go the other way. I want to start with everyone and only trim down as, as is required to meet a budget. Um, because I, what you said is absolutely critical um, to, you know, everyone there is, is, essential to the success of an individual show. Now, with that said, it is a important topic because reality is there's budget for everyone. And as much as I'd like to have a technical director and show collar on every single show um, and a lighting guy, even if it's just a static wash with a couple Lico's and a backlight, um, you know, there, there is a point where that's not necessary. So it is kind of uh, at that point, hopefully the show is contracted or I have an idea of um, who's going to be available for it. So I can at least get some feelers out because it's definitely going to influence the decision of who I'm putting on a show. If I say, man, I know that this is a great audio person, probably one of the best ever, but we need someone that can be an audio engineer and also serve as kind of an A2 almost stage manager. And that happens a lot where, uh, you know, the audio engineer that's running the console is also going to be the one miking up the presenter. And that always involves a conversation of, oh, you know, at that point, you're going to probably be asked to teach them how to use the clicker. <laughs> uh, so you definitely want to have somebody that's going to be a little more versatile in that role. Um, so I think it comes down to understanding at that point, the full scope of the show where you can make those substitutions and who on your team is going to be able to fill that best. Uh, you know, another example we see a lot is having the show caller might also be the lighting operator and the graphics operator. If it's just a matter of, Hey, we're just going to be clicking through a PowerPoint. There's no video roles at most. We might be going to a logo here and there. 
you know, it, it is pretty simple as a show caller. I'm going to be sitting there saying, all right, well, we, we have to switch at this point to the graphics anyway. You know, it's a matter of one button press and I can do that switch. I might not have to even call the show at that point. So you can kind of double dip um, and just focus on delivering a good show call to your lighting and audio techs. I want to I pause on that for just one second because that's, that's speaking exactly to what we were talking about, what that technical director friend of mine was talking about, that every company is going to have different ways of doing things. Every company is going to have different personnel. And mm-hmm. so while company X might have someone who's capable of doing that and is able to you know bridge a couple of positions uh, using one person, um, company Y might not be able to do that. And so they're going to have, you know, you know, we don't have an audio person, you know, uh, that's going to be capable of, you know, also kind of handling, <laughs> you know, the VIPs as they go up on the stage. And I've, I've actually seen an A2 get released from the show because they were incapable of, you know, uh, doing the person to person stuff. You know, they were, they were probably a really good audio person, but they weren't able to, you know, handle the, you know, putting on the microphones of the VIPs and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, not forcing, uh, that kind of like one-to-oneness from, from uh, provider to provider has a lot to do with exactly what you're talking about. You know, there's different personalities, there are different people with different skill sets. And so, yeah, you might have a lighting person, who's really capable and is able to kind of call the show and keep an eyeball on things versus, you know, someone who just, you know, again, stays in their lane and this is what I do and this is all that I do. So I think that's a fantastic point. And why, you know, and I know, I know, Will, you're a huge proponent of this, why it's so important to talk things through with your, with your AV suppliers. And to, you know, that's why you guys do the like, Hey, we're going to walk through this quote so we can talk through, um, you know, you know, this is why we're doing it this way. And this is why we're doing it that way. And why it's, it can be so difficult to, you know, to line things up apples to apples and oranges to oranges and apples to oranges and apples to pears is because of all of these very things, you know, definitely come into play when we're talking about labor. So I just wanted to kind of interrupt on that and Andrew, I'll let you take it back over. No, I think that's, that's a fantastic point there. And uh, I appreciate hearing other people say that because I can't tell you how many times we, we get a quote sent to us saying, Hey, can you match this one-to-one? And uh, you know, I, I think I've seen at least one, if not two, just today already, where it's a general session that has an audio visual tech and that's it. Thanks. Or, you know, maybe one tech in total. It's like, well, I, I don't feel comfortable matching this one to one. You know, maybe there were conversations that you had to say, hey, we're putting a rock star on this and we talked about the show flow and it's gonna be a podium mic and that's it. Maybe that's all happened, but if all I'm seeing is a quote from another company, I don't necessarily know about any of that conversation. Um, so again, that kind of gets to my philosophy of when, when I send out a quote, I'm going to try to put every position on there that I think can be a value. And then, you know, as you were saying, walking through that between the client and the production vendor will identify that, all right, you know, we, we have a lighting person on here. Your previous one didn't. This now allows you to have a different look throughout the show. Every time someone walks in, you have a different color. Maybe your brand only wants to have a blue backdrop and the stage wash up all day. Okay, great. We can remove that. Um, but until we've had that conversation, I, you know, I don't want to be pulling anything off because if we get to show site and can't deliver on that, well, you know, it's, it's not good for us. It's not good for you as a client. It, uh, it's not a win for anyone. 
<laughs> Preach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and you reminded me of one more thing. Um, and, and then we'll let you move, move things along, but it's, it's another reason. And I know you guys are going to amen on this as well, that it's another reason why you can't cut and paste from last year. Um, you know, so when you're looking at your AV bids from year to year, um, you know, once again, the staffing is going to be different. Who's going to be available? You know, maybe you had that rock star last year who was able to have nine arms and, you know, be able to do this, that and the other. Um, uh, but, you know, maybe the company that you're looking at this year or the property that you're looking at this year simply doesn't have that capability. So try not to get locked in to that. You know, well, we did it with three people last year. You know, why do we have to do it with six uh, this year? Um, uh, so just, yeah, another 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 way of looking at staffing as well from year to year. Yeah. So, Andrew, uh, I think one of the, the common questions that we also get a lot of, too, is this idea of when do you need a, a layer of management as well? That's who. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, there's obviously the idea of like, when do you need graphics off? Like someone to actually do the job. But at what point do you need one person who manages it all? Sure. Uh, uh, you know, I, I say it a little flippantly, but I do believe that you should always have, even if it's not someone on site, have an ally in your production company that is going to be your, you know, hey, I talked to your audio guy. He said it's not possible, but now I'm calling you to see, can I get this sent out? Can we add this? At a minimum, um, you want to have a really strong account executive that's backing you, uh, even if they're not necessarily on site. But regardless, I would encourage that, you know, there, there should always be someone on site that is in a production management capacity, even if it's not necessarily a dedicated person. Uh, you know, you, you want someone who can call the shots. Maybe that is, you know, maybe that's you. We, we see some companies where it's, hey, I'm a freelance production manager. I've been contracted to deliver this show for a client and I trust you as a vendor to deliver it for me. Um, you know, that changes the dynamic a little bit, but at the end of the day, you as that freelance production manager are still, uh, you know, serving in that management capacity to everyone. And you'll probably already have that strong relationship with the account exec. Uh, but I think there's just so much that you can build for the success of your show where, you know, your management, whether it's a full on show caller, stage manager, technical director, producer, you know, that's going to be your huge show or just a single <laughs> uh, again, any company might call it a project manager, production manager, technical director, stage call, uh, stage manager, show caller. I don't want to say they're all synonymous, but I've seen them right. all used synonymously. <laughs> um, you know, have that person there. They're going to help you tweak the graphics. They will go the extra mile to put together or run a show, make sure everything is lined up. And that I think is where you can really separate the difference and put a little bit of tangibility saying, hey, gear is gear. A QSC K-12 is always going to be a QSC K-12, but an audiovisual technician versus having management who can, you know, prepare that audiovisual technician is just game changing. Preach. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I need a preach sound effect that we're just like playing on. Like, preach. Like, yeah, I mean, like, obviously, a lot of stuff I'm going to agree with. Like, Brent, uh, Andrew and yeah, I yeah. work at the same company. So we, we have very much the same philosophy. It's actually so really funny it's, if you did. Uh, can, we, can, we, can we stir up some controversy there? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean, Andrew? That's not corporate policy. How dare you? 
<laughs> well, one of the you know one of the other things I think I think and and if anybody else out there has any specific questions uh, uh, regarding the number of people or the names of people or the types of the roles or anything like that, please do reach out hashtag Event Tech Podcast. Let us know or send us an email uh, Event Tech Podcast at HelloEndless.com. Um, uh, but I want to try and you know move things on a little bit, and this is actually where a lot of this topic kind of crystallized for me is I was doing a lot of thinking about effectively managing the schedule. Um, and that's something that obviously planners have a lot of power over is, you know, you know how much uh, rehearsal do we have? How often uh, are we getting together? When can we get together? When do the executives come in? Are they doing a full rehearsal or are they doing, uh, you know, just kind of a walk the stage and click through kind of thing? Um, and so I, I really wanted to spend a, a decent amount of time talking about all of this kind of schedule related things, because really when we're talking about managing AV crews, managing labor, you know, how long people are on has, has a good has a good deal uh, to do with that, uh, whether it's a half a day or a full day or overtime and all that kind of stuff. So I know one of the ones and this is one that, w- that has been covered uh, both on this show uh, as well as on like Whiteboard Wednesdays and things like that is turnaround time. So I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that necessarily, but we can talk about a little bit of some of the ramifications of it. So, uh, Andrew, if you want to just let folks know what is turnaround time uh, when it comes to labor, and uh, then we can kind of take it from there. Sure. Uh, in in simplistic form, it's, you know, when did we end the last shift to the time that we started the next shift? Commonly, you're going to see that as, all right, our corporate show ended at 6 p.m. today. We come back at 8 a.m. tomorrow. So that gives uh, was that 14 hours off. <laughs> Everyone's going to be happy with that. Uh, the alternative is when you start to get into your awards show that might not wrap up until, you know, 11 p.m. And coming back for a 6 a.m. rehearsal. Now you're talking about uh, seven hours off for the guys to go home, sleep, get ready, get dressed. You know, that turns into a couple hours of sleep at most. And that often uh, is either translated as a one and a half times uh, rate for the following day. Uh, Some companies even do double time in what they call turnaround time. Uh, And basically that's to say, hey, our guys were ran really hard and they're going to be exhausted. So to get them through this day, it's... Right. Almost incentive pay, I guess. You know, and and there's the important key of that is a lot of times when people look at things like overtime, uh, it's 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 almost with kind of disdain. It's like, why are you getting paid time and a half? Why are you getting paid double time? And it's important to remember, and this is something that I've, man, I've been talking about for for ten years now, is that you know a lot of times for a lot of planners, not all of them, but a lot of planners, it's like they have like one big show a year or, you know, a couple big shows a year. And it's like the one corporate national sales meeting and they're just running hardcore for like a week leading up to it and working, you know, you know, 70 hour weeks and all that kind of stuff. So they're willing to put in the, hey, I'm going to stay up until two in the morning to make sure it's good. And then we'll get up at five in the morning and then two in the morning and five in the morning and two, you know, that's that's. But then once that show is done, you know, then it's off to the spa and I'm taking a week off and, you know, that kind of thing, you know, whereas, you know, most of these labor rules and, and, and union, you know, union rules and, and just kind of general guidelines really stem from the fact is, Hey, this is what we do day in and day out. And the human body simply isn't capable of running 
that hard every day. You just fall, you know, that's, that's why these rules came about, you know, that we have a 10 hour day and then you work overtime. And, you know, specifically talking about turnaround time is, yeah, you might have seven hours down, whereas, you know, the people that are, you know, the planner and maybe the key personnel uh, from the AV team, if you're lucky, they are just going up to their room and going to sleep. A lot of the time it's local crew and local crew then have to drive home. And so that might be up to a half an hour. And so now you've lost an hour off of that time. So maybe you've got seven hours off. Like you said, by the time you get home, get settled, grab, grab a snack and get to bed, you're only getting like three, four hours of sleep before you're coming around and turning around and coming back time. So that's why these things are in place. And I just like to emphasize that anytime we're talking about these things, that whenever we start to go down the road of like, oh, why, why do we have to pay for that? Why do we have to do that? It's because the human body, you know, can only do so much. And so we need to make sure that our crews are compensated for when we do those really long days and for when we do only, you know, get a short turnaround time where you've only got a few hours of sleep and you've got to, you know, get back up at bright and shiny in the morning. So, um, I think otherwise, I think that was a very effective, uh, description of turnaround time. The other thing that I like to, um, uh, kind of use as a metaphor is like the airline pilots, right? Airline pilots by regulation can only fly a certain number of hours and have to have a certain amount of time off, um, uh, you know, because we don't want sleepy people <laughs> flying our airplanes. And, you know, to a certain extent, it's kind of the same thing, right? We don't want a sleepy board tech. And, and I'm not going to lie, you know, I've seen, you know, the board tech that was run really hard the night before, um, you know, falling asleep the next morning because we're, you know, the content is talking about, you know, insurance and how the dividends have gone from 20% to 30% over the course of the, you know, and then you look over and you just see the head bob, you know, going and going on. Um, so anyway, I just wanted to uh, kind of interject on, on, on that particular topic because it brings up a lot of kind of subtopics as well. One comment I was going to say too, is that, um, uh, I, I don't know many techs who are excited to go in a tight turnaround too. Like, you know, maybe oh, yeah, occasionally yeah, if like I'm the tech's like really like, Oh my gosh, like I'm really busy. He's, yeah. He's like, yeah, usually they're like, all right, can, can, can I just not, can I go home right. early? Like I'll help avoid that. Like, you know, I mean, it's never, I don't ever really hear him be really that excited. <laughs> I, I would trade that time and a half for the next day for an extra hour of sleep. A hundred percent. And I think a lot of times too, we're seeing it because, uh, you know, uh, about two weeks ago, we were in a, uh, a show where I'm, um, you know, the phrase I like to use is we had gotten to the point where mm. it was a uh, PowerPoint by committee during the rehearsal. And, uh, it, we were, we were 13 hours in to rehearsal, but had only really run through yeah. about one presentation. Wow. So now we're in double time. We've gone past overtime. It's 1130 PM. We have a 630 call the next morning, you know, it's it's just a human condition that we want to feel valued, you know, that we want to show off our best work. And it's it's I don't want to say insulting in a in a mean and intentional way, but it almost feels that way when you're sitting there for a whole day right. and you can't really contribute anything. And now you're you're paying the price. You don't get to go home and see your family or you don't get to call your wife or your significant other before, you know, you get to bed. It, it does take a very human toll, uh, whether it's turnaround time, you know, or not, I think there is a very significant human factor that, uh, in, in other conversations we've had has been 
addressing the mental health of the production industry. And this definitely factors into that. You know, I, I wanted to touch on that um, uh, later, but now is as good a time as any. Um, you know, maybe we can come back to some of the other aspects around turnaround time. But I, w- I definitely wanted to talk about rehearsals uh, in the context of this kind of time management and, and crew management, because that's exactly it. I've been in that exact same position um, where the the executive team is using quote unquote rehearsal time to go through the PowerPoint bullet by bullet and say, well, is that really the messaging that we want to be using on that? Uh, I don't really like that graphic. Uh, you know, that's not my thing. And you've got six, eight, 10 people stand, you know, literally sitting around doing nothing. Getting paid really high wages per hour. Yeah. Getting paid yep. decent, you know, yeah. Getting paid decent money to sit there. And as much as you'd think that there's a lot of people that we'd just be going, yeah, well, great. I'm getting paid to sit around and do nothing. That's really not how it works. Like all of us, like you said, Andrew, so, so eloquently there is we would much rather be contributing. We would much rather be, you know, being effective and trying to make the meeting better or rehearsing it so that we, you know, are making sure that we're hitting the cues and making sure that we're, we're doing all that we can to make that executive team look good um, rather than sitting around and, and listening to them go through their PowerPoint bullet by bullet. And I've, I, I, I definitely wanted to bring that up as well because I've, I've also been in that position where, yeah, you're going to one o'clock in the morning. Um, uh, you know, then you're sending your crew into turnaround time, you know, and having to do, you know, time and a half the entire next day for things that, that could be worked out in a hotel room over a beer. Um, you know, or, or would be best worked out in a hotel room over a right. beer, you know, and probably would get people to chill out a oh, little yeah, bit, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you know, and then you've got a fresh crew. So I wanted to bring, you know, I'm glad that you brought up, that's definitely something that I wanted to bring up as far as rehearsals, um, is being, being respectful of, of the crew's time and being respectful of the fact that you've got 10 people sitting around and doing nothing on a similar note to that. Um, I want to talk about call times. You know, usually the call times are being set by uh, the technical director or whoever, you know, so that we're ready by a certain time. If we're going to have rehearsals in the morning, we want to make sure that we're ready, you know, to go before those rehearsals. If we have no rehearsals and it's just doors at a certain time, you know, we want to be ready to go by that certain time. And usually that's something that the crew can kind of work out on its own. It's like, all right, maybe the projectionists need to come in a little early to get the projectors warmed up. Everyone else can come, you know, a half an hour early or something along those lines. But sometimes for whatever reason, that's coming from either the show producer or the client and saying, all right, I want everybody in at 7 a.m. Um, when there's not really any reason to do that. So I'm a huge fan of letting the, you know, letting the AV company, letting the production company kind of set those times internally of, I need you to be ready by this time. Um, have the crew call be whatever it takes (laughs) to be ready by that time. Um, uh, for, for me personally. Um, and then you're avoiding again, that situation of people sitting around, you know, maybe not everybody has to come in at that particular time, you know, and stagger the crew times so that it's, uh, easier so that you don't, again, have people sitting around doing nothing. And I think you bring up a great point there too, that talks back a little bit to, uh, our, our conversation earlier in the episode of what is the value and when should you have management on your show? And, and that's, I think another, uh, another case for it right there is 
if if you have a turnkey solution, whether it's you know through that freelance producer, freelance production managers bring together a team, uh, whether it's through a turnkey AV company, um, you know that that becomes an opportunity for them to step into that role. Uh, it even gets back to the stage management to you know avoid that uh, PowerPoint by committee to kind of step in and say, hey guys, uh, you know we. we want to continue with our rehearsals, but we understand you want to keep working on your content. How about our yes. uh, graphics guy sits down with you at the end of the day and we can work on it there. Uh, there's, there's so many opportunities to, you know, engage that management in setting your effective call times and advising the crew or advising the client and the crew of, Hey, we're about to go into overtime. Who can we cut? Who's not essential to the continuation of this rehearsal? You know, we might have a master electrician on the call sitting back at dimmers just in case the light turns off. They can troubleshoot it. They yeah, might not need to be there the for the overtime that night. Uh, sure. And I think that's that's a really good reason that you want management on your show because, um, you know, it, it does avoid that surprise of, well, what do you mean we got an extra $7,000 of overtime? We just thought that we could rehearse all day because <laughs> we had the room on a 24-hour right. hold. The AV equipment was already in there. No, it's it's a fantastic point, and it's one that, you know, Will, you and I bring up all the time in our, our AV Smackdown session uh, where we where we pit against the, 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 all uh, the time. Uh, in-house versus third-party uh, models is that um, a lot of times when you're working with that third party, they're going to have, you know, kind of baked in that manager of, uh, you know, who's keeping track and, hey, just so you know. Um, uh, and then and 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 this isn't just it's it's well, I guess it is a knock. I was going to say it's not a knock, but it, it, is, it is a knock on 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 in-house <laughs> AV is there does tend to be in my humble experience um, uh Sometimes they're not going to just jump right out and tell you, hey, by the way, uh, we're going to go into overtime uh, if you go past, you know, this time, um, you know, less of an incentive uh, to let you know, because they know you're on the hook for it. They know that you're, you know, you're, you know, it's going to go to the master mm -hmm. account and you're going to have to take care of it one way or the other. And I've absolutely been in that position where I know for a fact there was not a soul around after five o'clock, um, but everybody on the crew checked out at six because, you know, they by the time they got down to the clock, it was five oh one, you know. And so, well, that's an extra hour. And so it's kind of like, OK, I guess I suppose it could have possibly if you walked really slow, <laughs> uh, you know, been five oh one by the time you got down to the dock and clocked out. Um, so it's another really good reason for even if you don't have a dedicated person, even if you don't have a dedicated person managing the crew, at least having someone on your team responsible for keeping an eyeball on the clock and having someone on your team responsible for, you know, just saying, you know, going up to the crew saying, okay, you guys were on at seven. I'm assuming a 10 hour day. What's the turnaround time for you guys? All that kind of stuff. Just someone being responsible for keeping an eyeball on the clock with that stuff. And I think I think uh, for everyone who doesn't know, too, I mean, like, obviously, hopefully you've been listening to every single event tech podcast yeah. episode since our first episode together. But Brant actually hires a ton of in-house AV companies for for the work that he does. So <laughs> I want to make sure everyone knows that uh, that 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 opinion is not just biased uh, because he has worked with third party companies, but also he, he works with you know, we hit a lot of the things that I wanted to hit regarding turnaround time kind of in that discussion of rehearsals, um, you know, things like just again, just being respectful of the time. Maybe we can let some people go, um, you know, hey, folks, maybe this is something you guys could work out. 
uh, you know, in your hotel room and then come down, we'll come down an hour early, you know, something along those lines uh, to, to, to take care of it so that we're not doing that. And then again, also being respectful of the, you know, do we really need to be set up um, for, um, uh, you know, for uh, at seven o'clock in the morning when it's, you know, when it's, uh, you know, it's an 830 uh, doors or something along those lines. Um, but I want to give you the opportunity, Andrew, just if there's anything else you want to throw out there kind of before we, you know, tie a bow on all of this, uh, as far as tips and tricks, uh, you know, that planners need to know, or maybe producers need to know, or anybody that's having to deal with crews, um, you know, uh, re- regarding, you know, uh, managing AV crews and, and, and technical crews in general. Sure. I think, um, the, the solution that I, I really like to a lot of crew management, uh, that comes more out of the theatrical and concert world. And I feel is, uh, you know, almost fallen by the wayside in uh, you know, corporate events is the idea of a crew chief. You, you so rarely see it on anything smaller. Uh, but it's, it's something that is, gets to a lot of the points we were talking about. Uh, as an additional option of having somebody that is dedicated to managing those hours, making sure that, uh, you know, they're hitting their meal breaks, that nobody's running into overtime that doesn't need to be. Um, you know, I, I, I can't really even remember. Uh, well, I guess I, I did have a crew chief a few weeks ago, and they were my best friend. I was uh, a project manager on the show, and they were able to take care of the human factors that, I was not able to do, uh, because in my role, I was running around, uh, dealing with equipment that got stolen, uh, you know, from one of the breakout rooms and had just a hundred different things going on. And they're saying, "Uh, Hey, I know our guys aren't going to be able to get out right now. The meal breaks, uh, you know, we already had dinner we're in a late rehearsal. So I'm just going to, you know, call in a food order for them. And whether it is actually a crew chief or not, having somebody that can serve as your crew mom, crew dad, uh, just looking out for people. Human factors are such an important thing uh, to our whole industry. And that's that's what we are doing as our job is trying to engage other people's senses and feelings and sense of belief and purpose. Uh, you know, I, one of the uh, kind of bitter slogans that I uh, learned from a friend is that we give up our dreams to help the dreams of other people come true. (laughs) So, you know, just giving back a little bit to us. I mean, you know, the smallest things go a long way. So staying out of overtime when you can making the rehearsals useful, um, you know, acknowledging that, Hey, we're going to go late tonight. Let's take an extra half hour so that you can call the family. Um, you know, that, that goes a long way. It so does. And, 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 and even, you know, I, I've been in, in a position where we knew it was going to be a long day and even just having an hour off to go walk around the building, you know, and see, see what the sun looks like, uh, you know, because we're so many times we're just stuck <laughs> in these, you know, stuck in these ballrooms for 24 uh, seven or in a, you know, in a, even just in the, in the property, in the hotel room, you know, I, I was all set to, to wrap this puppy up, but Andrew, you brought up one more really important point, which is uh, breaks and crew meals and things like that. And uh, it's something that I frequently uh, say in my uh, education sessions is that it, it just goes such a long way to include the crew 
uh, in the meals. Um, there's something to be said for walking away and getting your own dinner, but there's also something to be said for providing, you know, whatever you're getting the guests, you know, just tack on an extra 10 meals. You know, usually that's well within kind of the range of, you know, what you're going to need to get for your catering anyway. It's not like it's a huge additional cost, um, uh, you know, or at the base, you know, at the very least, you know, the flat meat sandwiches, you know, those are always fine too, but it just goes such a long way toward making the crew feel like they're part of the team, you know, to be there eating the same meals that you as the planner are eating or the attendees are eating. Um, you know, it has the side benefit of in case of emergency, oh my goodness, the CEO just walked in and wants to run through the slides one more time. You know, I don't want to emphasize that, but it's true, <laughs> you know. You know, it, really the better part of it, though, is just making the crew feel like they're part of the team. Um, you know, it's not just like, okay, by the way, you got an hour uh, to go get lunch and, you know, great, we're at a resort. So again, I got to drive 20 minutes into town. Uh, or eat at the, you know, resort uh, restaurant for, you know, $100 for a, you know, cheeseburger. Um, so uh, I highly recommend that. And you, it, you touched on just, you know, that it, it's, it makes people feel more fulfilled and it makes people feel part of part of the game and invested in it. And I think it just goes a really long way uh, toward, toward, toward garnering that kind of investment from folks. I could not <laughs> agree more. That's why I definitely will give away as much food as possible just because I know food makes people happy. It doesn't, it's it, true. <laughs> everyone who knows Will has worked with Will also knows that Will feeds everyone. And it's so much better to have taco <laughs> night. Like, you know, so you're on a week show and it's like, hey, it's pizza night. It's taco night. It's, you know, it's if, even if it's flat meat Monday, you know, who cares? Yeah, yeah, you totally. know, at least you're all in the same room. You're all sharing, you know, and so many times something creative or amazing happens out of that conversation because you've had a chance to shut your brain off uh, for a minute. And then like that problem that's been nagging you, you know, for the last two days, of, oh, I know how we can make the set stand up straight, you know, or whatever it was that's been bugging you for the last, you know, three days is when you've got a chance to just switch it off. But to be in the same room as other people uh, is just a huge thing. So uh, I'm glad that you brought that up, Andrew. And uh, I thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. We kind of called you on last minute notice and was like, hey, can you, you want to do a show about managing crew? And you were gracious enough to join us. So thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's it's always uh, always great to be able to kind of share our side of things. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Andrew. As always, you are fantastic. And I'm sure this won't be the last time Heck that no. everyone gets to see you on this podcast. So We've we already got some ideas from on. the pre-show. So. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, yeah, I know. So many, so many more, so many more. Well, everyone, thank you guys for so much for tuning in as well. Um, every single one of you for listening. I hope you got a lot of value out of this one and a lot of tactical tips. If you did really enjoy this and you aren't subscribed yet, uh, make sure to head over to venttechpodcast.com. That's the best place to go because not only is that where you get all of the links to every single podcasting platform, iTunes, Pocket Cast, Google Play, Spotify. Oh my God, there's so many. That's where you can go to check them all out. But also we have the ability for you to go sign up and get exclusive content delivered right to your email inbox, all the show notes, all of the links to all of the additional resources, for example, all the Whiteboard Wednesdays we discussed that dive in these topics a little bit further. So make sure that you go to eventtechpodcast.com, sign up right there, right now. And uh, you know what? 
if you want to talk to us, like Brant said, if you have ideas or questions or you want to dive into something specific, we had a, we were doing a little bit of live broadcasting on LinkedIn right now. Thanks to everybody for tuning in on LinkedIn. Um, but all, you know, getting a lot of questions in there about other episodes. Well, if you have ideas for other episodes, make sure to contact us, hashtag Event Tech Podcast. You can also shoot an email directly to Brant and I at eventtechpodcast at helloendless.com. And you know what? You out there, you listener, you, thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Brant, so much for co-hosting with me today. Love it as always, man. And thank you guys again, and we'll see you guys next time on the Event Tech Podcast. Thanks again for listening to the Event Tech Podcast. Be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcasting app. Also, be sure to head to eventtechpodcast.com and leave us a comment about this week's episode. We'll see you next week on the Event Tech Podcast. Event Tech Out. Out.